This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 577. And the quote of the day is, put simply, it's not always as easy as it seems. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 577. Thanks so much for being here, and I got a great episode today with my man, Benzel Baltimore. And if you don't know him, don't know his name, don't know what he's about, let me put it to you this way. The dude has been playing with P-Funk since he was 15 years old. He played at Woodstock 99 when he was 15 years old. He is the son of trumpet player Benny Cowan, who is the longtime veteran of p-funk as well and hearing that he was the son of the trumpeter in the band makes everyone think oh well then he just got that gig easily and we talk about it in this conversation that there was no nepotism it wasn't him just going and getting the gig there was a lot of work that went into it and we also get into the work that everyone puts in if you want to achieve that level of success or if you want to achieve that level of greatness so it's not just what you see on the tip of the iceberg, but it's what is going on underneath and the hours and relentless work ethic that go into really being successful. It's an amazing conversation. I'm so stoked that I got him on the podcast and I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Benzel Baltimore. Benzel, what's happening, my man? What's up, Nick? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself? I'm hanging in there trying to have a good day. Just finished my little run and um, I'm here. I like it. I like it. So you are, you're in Baltimore and you're born and raised Baltimore. Yes, sir. 1983, Talk- August 12th. There, oh, we're getting close to your birthday. <laughs> yeah, it's about to happen. It's, it's, it's like it's a good time and it's a bad time. And it's like, why, why is it a bad time? It's because uh, well, I'll be turning 37, and it's like, man, I was actually enjoying how I was sounding when I was 36. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, well, now I have to kind of go to a, another vibe, kind of, you know? You got you. You sounded good at thirty six, but now you're saying that you that at thirty seven, you're like, I should sound better. Is that what you're saying? Mm, uh, like it's like it's like you know you you get to a certain level, and that's cool. But it's always like it becomes more of a decision level as opposed to a playing level. Now, now it's more about deciding to play the right stuff. As mm. opposed to just having fun, got you. Just playing what you want to play. You can't really just play what you want to play at this point. Talk to me about that. You're saying like sonic choices or 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 dynamics uh, well, you know, or. Well, you know where where we come from. Like you know, we to be honest with you, um, like I watch I watch a lot of the older drummers, but I obviously watch a lot of the younger drummers as well and like that young edge that some of us still have is kind of like what age are you going to get where you're like not playing like that anymore <laughs> it's like <laughs> what, what age are you going to get to you you're going to go from playing like from playing like 
Tony Royster to playing like Nate Smith. Right. So you're like, telling? Are you saying like you gotta get? you gotta like grow up a little bit? Is that what you mean? I guess. Like you could get away with it when you were 36, and now that you're 37, you're old, and you better start playing like it. <laughs> uh, it's un- it's unfortunate that it's it's not a choice. It's it's kind of where you get boxed in at. They kind of uh. box you into that, where it's like um, they 23 and they 21 and they 19, so they're not expecting somebody that's 37 to be able to play on the same level as them. Right. And when you say the same level, it's not necessarily professional wise it's more just like chop wise we're just talking about chops here we're just talking about blowing chops right um like just being in the shed room me personally i do a lot of uh shedding you know real shedding is when you have two and three drum sets of people in a room trading fours or eights or sixteens you know whether it be to a track or whether it be acapella Mm -hmm. um so Obviously, um, a lot of people my age aren't really shedding, which would mean right. that you have to shed with people that are 20, you know what I mean, like <laughs> 19, 26. Like I said, I'm 30, 37. And a lot of people my age won't even shed with people that are that age. It's, a, it's this age group thing hmm. that we kind of need to get over that. I agree. You know, you have to get over that. It's like... You know, somebody like Ronald Bruner that's about 37, about to be 38 at some point um, coming up. But um, somebody like him, he can go in a shed with anybody, and it don't matter what it, what age they are. Right. But they expect that from him. But if it was – if Steve Jordan was playing like Ronald Bruner, people would be like, why is he playing like that? <laughs> yeah. Like, what was he doing? You know what yeah. I mean? So it's like when you get Steve Jordan's age, it's like, okay, I can lay in the pocket and get my knee in. He still has great feel. He can do a great solo, too. He can play all around. Yeah. Um, but I guess the older you get, maybe the jobs start changing. And actually, another thing that I'm realizing is that people start getting gigs. And even though they are seen to the masses as being choppers, quote unquote, or like chop guys, gospel choppers or whatever um as they start getting bigger gigs they start to um play more laid back it's inevitable to happen because if i'm playing for cheryl crow then it's not necessarily it's not like a gospel gig you know what i mean so it's like you're going to be playing you're going to be playing do you get do you get or whatever you're not gonna play you know what i mean like you're not gonna be doing <laughs> that it's not gonna fit no you're gonna be playing one and three on the foot mm-hmm. that's what you're playing you're not yeah. playing threes on the foot you know what i'm right. saying like it's, right. that's not what the music requires so it's like but at the same time we still stay doing our chop thing we all it's like exercise yep it's like you need to be able to go to that level when they point to you sure <laughs> you know you need to be able to give them what they what they want from you when it comes to you doing your thing but when it's coming to the music basically if you're doing an hour gig um you might be able to get flashy for 10 minutes right collectively right. through the whole thing it kind of reminds me 
it kind of reminds me like if you look at like the arc of a of a basketball player right and when they're in like middle school and high school if they're going to go to the nba they're probably one of the best players on the team and they're going to be driving the hole they're going to be they're going to be doing everything they're going to be out dribbling people they're going to be dunking they're going to be driving the hole they're going to be getting i mean they're like the star right and then they get into college and then it, there's a little bit they're still doing some of that, but there's other players that are at that caliber and, or a couple that are at that caliber. So maybe they don't have to do as much, but then when they get to the pros, then it's like, then they have to define what their role is going to be and stick to that. And that role as they get older will start to change and it'll get a little bit less, maybe driving to the hole and a little bit more shooting and, and a little bit more delicate and, and things like that. And as you were saying this, and I'm not even a huge basketball guy, but as you were saying this, it kind of, made me think about how an athlete like changes the way that they play throughout their career because they get older, they're surrounded by better people. They don't have to do everything anymore because they have other people who are in their roles that can play as well and, and things like that. Does that make sense or did I totally just No, know, that's right. It's like being that? it's like basically we're all in the you're in the NFL or or let me just say the NBA. So it's like Okay, you in the NBA, and there's guys that are like Tony Taylor's age in the NBA that's, that's crossing up everybody, shooting and dunking and playing defense and getting rebounds. And then you got uh, <laughs> then you got people that's in the NBA that are just drive to the hole. That's what they do. They go on the drive to the hole. They want to dunk. But it's their expertise. Mm-hmm. So it's like once you get into the pros, you realize what your what your actual expertise is, and you stick to that, right? As opposed to when you're seventeen, you know, coming up in the game, you know, playing in church, playing, um, you know, local gigs, and really just trying to like show who you are. That's a whole nother level than when it's like, oh, I showed who I was for fifteen years. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm doing what the gig requires, but I just, I'm still showing you who I am. I think it, so it's like, when I say it's like the NBA, it's kind of like we're all out here. And it's, it's up to you at this point. You know what I mean? It's like where you got your Jordans, you got your Patrick Ewans, you know what I mean? You got your, um, you got your um, LeBrons, you got your Kobe's, you got all these great people that are great at certain aspects of the thing, but none of them are less or more than each other. Right. Do you, and that's what we kind of lose sometimes. And it's like, oh, he just plays pocket. No, he's doing his job. Right. Or it's like, oh, he just dunks. Yes, because he's Shaq, and that's his job, and he's bigger than you. <laughs> so he just dunks on you. He don't have to shoot a three-pointer. He's just going to dunk it. Correction. That's he what can't, he does. He can't shoot a three-pointer. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. But not <laughs> hardly a foul shot, you know, but it's like, that's okay. Because I bet you he'll get the rebound over you and he'll dunk on you. So right. it's like, you know, say what you want to say, but when people have their expertise at a thing, so like, I'm not going to say any names or anything, but people basically they be like, well, what happened to such and such? How come you don't um, do all the crossovers he used to do? You don't do all the uh, chops and stuff they used to do basically because you know, management of the NBA, let's just say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the people that is controlling that may have a conversation with you one day and say, you sound great. It's like, but you know, if we're doing, we're doing this, uh, 
again, the Cheryl Crow gig, even though you're Jordan <laughs> of drumming, we want you to be Jordan on the side of the team player side of Jordan. Right. We want you to make the team better. We don't want you just showing your butt all the whole game. It's like, or the whole that, gig. Do you think that when younger players are getting hired, there's a little bit more leeway of saying, hey, you just go, just go out there and do your thing, man. You sound great. Do your thing. But as you get older, the gigs get higher profile. There's more, hey, I know you did that thing in that other band. Here's what we need you to do here. You need to tighten it up a little bit and, and lay back a little bit. I mean, it's like, it's like uh, Tony Royster was like, um, you know, when he came up playing drums, he was just known for doing clinics and doing right. solos. But I got to imagine that, that Tony Royster playing with Katy Perry, like that's a great gig for him. Tony Royster is, is phenomenal, right? I got to imagine sure. that he was like, this, is, this has to be boring for him. Like, uh, I feel like it's like, he, like Tony Royster is like a Ferrari, right? And they're like, you have to drive around the streets of New York City in this Ferrari. And he's like, I can only go three miles an hour. And they're like, well, that's all, that's all you can do. Mm. Well, yeah, basically. I mean, it's like, so. so <laughs> and I don't mean that like, in, a, in like a, I don't mean that no, as, no, no. A, as a I, shot to Tony, you know? No, I get it. I get it. It's like, it's like Tony looks at it more like, it's like, okay, everybody knows me as a clinician and stuff like that. But then you end up playing for, um, the girl that I got my play for too. Uh, Joss. Joss they, they, they start playing for Joss. And like, you know, it's Joss likes when he does. And see, the other thing about it is like, it depends on the gig. A lot of people didn't uh, grow up with a harsh sense of, I'm the band leader. Mm-hmm. Like, see, when a person like me came up, um, that's like 37 now. Like when I came up, I was around harsh band leaders. I grew up under George Clinton. I grew up under um, going to school with crazy instructors that were hell bent on the parts to the point where I just I had to throw improvisation out the window for a second. Literally. Right. Like, it's like, because I'm not even, my job is to make this person happy. He's paying. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, they know you can play and they like your drive and your energy. So, and it's like, so some of these gigs are sometimes catered to the drummers at this point. And nowadays, they wasn't mm. necessarily catering the gig to the drummer back then. Gotcha. You know, like Billy Cobham and Ma Vishnu is a different vibe because it's like that music is wild and you need somebody that can smash to be able to keep up with what they're doing. And of course, he's going to overplay. But that's right. okay, because the whole band is overplaying. Yeah. I mean, there's only a couple people who could do that gig. Exactly. Or even like, you know, Dennis Tamers with whoever he played, uh, with uh, Record Brothers, or even with, even Dennis Tamers playing with P-Funk. And though it's a pocket gig, um, because at the time they had like a, like, you know, a little bit faster tempo and stuff like that, it required you to be able to play some drums. Like, it's like, yes, we in the pocket, but you have to be able to play the fills that can back up 
this groove because it's a little bit faster and it's a little bit more energized and right. it's a long gig, you know. So it ends up being like when you see these newer gigs, it's like like if you got Devin Six Taylor playing with Justin Bieber, it's like I'm assuming that Justin Bieber likes the way that Devin Six Taylor plays mm-hmm. because Devin Six Taylor is playing a whole bunch of stuff. He hasn't necessarily been fired yet. You know what I mean? Which right, means right. that he must like it. Yeah. It always but, reminds me of all the, the, the drummers that Usher always got, like whether it be Aaron or Brian Fraser Moore. Like that was always like a super chop heavy gig. And like that's just what Usher liked, I assumed, right? Well, I think that's also the style of music too. Like see, now see, we're talking about like gigs like R and B gigs and like pop gigs. And because of like there's this new sound. It's like, um, it's like an arrangement sound. So it's like nobody is doing a gig anymore, and it's gonna sound like that like the record unless it's like nobody, because they're they're making live arrangements and stuff. Even George did that. Like mm-hmm. everybody does it. Like at some point, I say okay. Sometimes they want to hear the record like it is, and like a prime example of somebody playing the record like it is on the gig just like it would be on a uh, record would be like a like a sly stone or something like that you know what i mean like right where they, they basically you, if you know the record you can make it through the gig right so you're saying and nowadays it, most people aren't doing that they're doing a live arrangement sort of like an alternative version so when i was uh out with george one time and uh michael jordan hired us to do the thing and this little golf celebrity tournament thing and he wanted us to perform with T-Pain at the same time. Now, mm-hmm. T-Pain has sent the band music months and months before because it's that deep. <laughs> it's, it's like, who cares about this gig? It's just a normal gig, right? No, this is... So, and, you know, when I actually finally turned it on, I realized it's 22 minutes of no click, a whole bunch of hits, no drums in it, the vocals, all these musical things, <laughs> and it's like no click or nothing. And it's like, oh, okay. So me just learning um, Bartender and stuff like that, these songs by T-Pain, is not going to help me for this game. It's just way beyond just knowing the song. Knowing the song is only the first step. Now you have to know the song, and you have to know this live arrangement that these people have. And that's when these chops come in. Because it's like, okay, well, the chops are important now because they lead up to the hits and stuff. So now mm-hmm. it's this very important sound of being able to play these chops, but they also have to be in the backbeat pretty much, which means that you, the snare and the clap are meeting during your chop and hitting the hits of the music. That is style that's been going on for a while. And that's not easy to do. No. So that's why they call the young guys to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Is that because the older guys can or they're just too set in their ways and they don't want to? Or both? Well, it's like, it's like, it's just different rules sometimes. Right. It's like, there's some, like, there's some things, even though Dennis does everything, there's some things Dennis not going to do. As opposed to some things that, uh, that Thomas Pridgen would do. That he won't, that even he won't do. He could do it. That's the other thing. I mean, you know, right. these people are capable of these things. Yeah. 
But, there are very few things that uh, that I don't think Thomas Pridgen is capable of doing. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that's the thing. It's like like a Thomas Pridgen and a Tony Roach are two totally different drummers. Yeah. Yep. Right? Yep. But then you got this Tony Taylor style. And see, now it's about that Tony Taylor style. And, you know, <laughs> the other guys are killing. The, the, the guys that we like, the Thomas, Ronald, Tony, Eric, and I can just keep going all the way down. Those guys are great. Chris Coleman, those guys are great. Um, but there's like a time and place for everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, what the young guys are doing, I love it. What the older guys are doing, I also love it. And it's, yeah. this is how you have, uh, this is how people get gigs, though. Because it's like, oh, well, I just want somebody to solo when I say solo, but I want them to play pocket for 45 minutes. Right. And then you solo at the end. There's well, that's what I was going to do that. That's what I was going to ask you. I feel like a lot of people put things out on social media. I've had this conversation numerous times on the podcast, and I, but I think that you have a very interesting perspective about it and that people put things out on social media that are chops heavy and chops and chops and chops. And I always think, Hey, that's just for drummers and music directors and singer songwriters uh, right. and other in, and, and other musicians are not going to look at that and say, I want this person playing behind me. Is that, do you, do you agree or do you disagree with that? Cause my, here's my thought. My thought is you should, you should put out into the world in on social media and as your public profile, the things that you want to get hired for. And if you want to get hired to play with John Mayer, I don't think that you should be putting out chops. Like you're playing, like your hands are on fire. And so what's going on it's like uh, it's in between playing what you feel and what you love and the professionalism, which you also may be feeling and, and what you may love as well. But it seems that especially on Instagram life, all you all we seeing is um, within one second, you're going to see 30 second notes around the drums. Right. Or you're going to see um, fast foot, stuff like that. Like, so if someone like, was like, Benzel, you got to put five videos out. That's all that anyone can ever see of you is five videos. And we're going to put them on YouTube. We're going to put them on Instagram. We're going to put them on your website. They're going to be on Facebook, everything. And those five videos are what people are going to view of you and decide whether they're going to hire you or not. What do you put in those five videos? Is it you playing chops or is it you playing styles or what? Um, well, that's messy about to probably do that. I'm probably about to do that anyway. We're just gonna just drop real weird. We're just gonna <laughs> drop multiple things in one day. I like it. And um, and if those were my last videos that I ever posted, they are very different. You know, like they might not necessarily have like they might kind of be like a new fusiony. And when I say that, it means it's just like you know it's instrumental kind of, but uh, there might not be like lyrics on it. But it's like musical and anybody can get with it you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but so what the difference would be would be like the different tempos and the different styles and the different grooves and it's like because if you plan that's a gig <laughs> you know what i mean so if you're playing a song that can do that okay check that so you put that on you put that as one of them Right. You know, something that's got a nice groove, but you can still open up in places. Like, it has places for hits and stuff like that. Like, whenever a song has, like, hits and stuff like that, 
that's when you play whatever you're playing. Like you play stuff to connect the song, like the where the next part. Everybody knows this, but you know most of the time you're supposed to play nuances to bring in the next part of the song or the hit or whatever the, the, the melody that the unison pattern that the band is playing. You you set that up by playing this particular chop. You don't just chop over the whole thing, right? Unless you're like chopping through the hits. It's like that rule. Like I said, if you're hitting the snare and you chop it and you're hitting the hits, it sounds like a beat. So you can't really say that it's not, it's a chop, it's too choppy, you know, but it's, if we get too choppy because we just start going around and we don't really connect that, that snare sometimes that it's like, if you, if you playing in a crowd of about a hundred thousand people, the thing that translates more than anything as a drummer is boom and bap. Those yep. are the connectors. That's what's connecting the person that's all the way in the back of the hundred thousand person stadium. Right. They're it's not going to be the ghost notes. Back. It's no. not going to be. Yeah. No, I had to learn that on Chili Peppers gig, even though it's the loudest gig you ever played on. Even though right. it's so loud, and it's like you you're mic'd up and everybody can hear everything you're playing. They really can, but it's like it's it's those solos where you play real big like Chad Smith. I you gotta watch these people sometimes. These older guys have been on microphones playing drums for a long time. It's the difference between playing on mics and playing in your basement. Mm -hmm. It's an, it's or, interesting that you say that. That was one of the biggest hurdles that I had to overcome was going going into bigger rooms and thinking I can play all that that choppy same like, stuff. Not even choppy because mm -hmm. I can't really play chops, but like all the ghost notes and all these nuances. And right. then we would get into these rooms that are even, even like, you know, four or five, 6,000 seat rooms. And it just, right. it just doesn't translate. It just doesn't work. Right. You know, it's, well, it's that because was you're playing me. big stuff. If you're playing, if you're playing everything big, if you're playing, everything's got to sound like that, or you're yeah. going to sound like you're not consistent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you might have to do, instead of doing you know what I mean it's like yep. that got lost just play the triplet I felt it it's great it's like yep. you know you watch guys like Randy Cook and you watch guys like uh, even Keith Carlock on a big gig like yeah all they know is translating yep but then the other the other problem is that um, everybody be mixing styles too everybody's playing playing the stuff that they learned growing up and the stuff that they like listening to and they're trying to play it all at the same time. <laughs> and it's like, is it a fusion game? Like one of my best one of my best friends was talking to me earlier. He's like, he's like, all right, you playing Bruno. You know, and it's like, well, but if you know, you have to play that with a pop approach, not with a fusion approach. Right. You know, like so it's like Study. You have to. We have to study first and foremost. And that's the other thing about the gig. Study the gig, and it's like when it comes to like, uh, like you were asking about um, people like Adam Blackstone that are listening to a drummer, as opposed to like um, even like Madonna. Like it's like it's like okay, the band leader might be like, "What's going on?" But the MD might be like, "This is what's required for the gig," yep. and they bring that to the to the to the Madonna. And they say, 
this is how it all sounds together. Like they might hear the drummer and be like, huh? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what's going on? But when they put the show track on and he played through the whole thing with all the hits, hits all the hits, hits all the beats right, um, had a little nice little uh, solo type thing going on. That's the package. So, like, sometimes when we're out here on Instagram and we're putting up our stuff, we kind of have to be more about the full package as opposed to, I got one minute and I'm going chop for it. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, but some people do want to see chop. Like, it's like, you just have to know the genres of people that are watching. Like, it's like, a lot of the greatest chops are coming from the gospel world. So, mm-hmm. that's like prerequisite for gospel people like right gospel players like a gospel bass player is expecting the drummer to be killing because he's killing on bass you know what i mean so it's like <laughs> i need somebody that's double killing on drums to make what i'm playing translate so it's like if i'm playing a song and it's like i got a busy bass line i should play more towards what that bass line is doing with my drumming right and then that would make more sense than opposed to just like playing it completely straight or playing too busy mm-hmm. and it's like what i've learned you know you have to like kind of play the parts of these other people and that's something that you learn from like jazz and stuff like that but it just has to be a different approach it can't necessarily be a bing bing the ding on the ride approach because you're playing stuff that other people are playing in a band you have to like so you're playing a groove um most of the time everybody knows this too but you're playing a groove and it's like the bass drum is kind of connecting with the bass guitar and like the hi-hat rhythm if you're playing kind of busy is kind of connecting with the either the rhythm guitar or the keys Mm -hmm. and the the snare is like that's the actual drums (laughs) you know what i mean the (laughs) snare is when it's like the clap that's that's you and the crowd clap right you know i mean the bass line is that's the foot Yep. You don't necessarily hit, that, hit, hit every single note, but you're hitting notes of it to imply. Mm-hmm. And then it's like if you're getting busy on the hi-hat, like you were playing like something like Prince or something, and it's like something, and, and the, the hi-hat is a busy thing, it's probably matching up with the um, rhythm, whether it be the rhythm guitar or the keys or whatever. Right. Right? Yeah. Yep. So that's basically what they're doing. Uh, they're playing all that stuff. Now, some people play it busier because that's what they require, like an Adam Blackstone. Whom is like the MD for, you know, mad people. Everyone. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, And it's like, one of my friends was actually doing this thing. I can't get too deep into it, but basically you uh, take a consultation with a famous drummer, and then that famous drummer will take a video of you playing a, p- a specific song, and he'll send it to Adam Blackstone. Mm-hmm. And this is for them to let you know if you're in the right direction or not. Now, I'm sure that specific drummer could tell you already. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but it's like, okay, I guess it's going to go through him, and then he's going to take it to the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to that type of stuff, you kind of have to be ready for everything. You might have to be really busy. You might not have to be busy. Like if you play it, but basically I think nowadays when they hired a drummer for gigs, I think they already know that drummer style. 
It's like that, when I think about today, it's like I'm just thinking about like Snoop Dogg, right? And you would mm-hmm. think Snoop Dogg would be mad chill, which it is. But you got Nick Smith on drums, not a chill drummer. <laughs> like Nick Smith, he can't. Nick Smith can play anything. He can play chill. Of course, that's why he's playing for Snoop. But don't think that he's not playing some crazy patterns. It's like he'll play some groove, but it'll be really complicated, like the do. Right. Like he'll play like the actual programmed drum part and add his thing to the programmed hi hat part that's real busy or whatever. That's that's another thing with like a CJ Thompson type vibe. Mm-hmm. And that's why he got all the gigs too, because he's <laughs> <laughs> CJ Thompson. He's like able to basically imitate, especially with these trap beats, which is a little difficult for uh, you know drummers not in this era this new era you know what i'm saying because it's like they hear a lot of trap music and stuff like that and they immediately say that's not even music Ugh. you know what i mean <laughs> that's, that's not even it's like well if you, you need to get that one together because this is popular music today and if you want to be a musician you have to hone into the popular music i don't care if i'm 50 years old you still should probably if you want to be a musician you should probably be able to play the most popular song of that day mm-hmm Mm-hmm. It's just a part of it. Yeah. So the new Sonar SQ1s, yeah, they're sick. They're made out of birch. And the reason why they made them out of birch is because birch has a balanced low, mid, and high range. So they sound great in the studio and they also sound great live. They also have a sound sustainer system. It's a new mounting hardware and it's rubber on metal. And what that does is it completely separates the mounting hardware from the wooden shell. So you're going to get an amazing tonal quality out of these drums. They actually got that from the automotive industry. That's where they learned about this technology. Not only that, I'm a car lover, so this is super cool to me. The colors and style of legendary car classics were the inspiration for the color selection of the SQ1. So there are four matte lacquer finishes that you can choose from. So not only do they sound good, they also look good too. Check them out by going to sonar.com. It's one thing to talk about how great Dream symbols are, but it's another thing to actually hear them for yourselves. And the good thing about Dream is not only do they sound great, but they're also priced well below the competitor's prices, so that way you can actually afford to buy these symbols. And if you don't think you can get a great sounding symbol at a low price, check out DreamSymbols.com. But first, I want you to take a listen to what these things sound like. To learn more about Dream symbols, be sure to check them out at DreamSymbols.com. was one thing that I wanted to ask you about where I remember reading an article and you said part of your practice is listening, another part is watching, and then another is applying. So when you're listening or when you're watching, how are you absorbing that information? And then how are you applying that into your playing without it sounding like you're just copying and pasting something into something that doesn't necessarily belong or doesn't feel right or isn't really uniquely yours or you haven't really mastered that thing? So what does that process look like for you? Uh, well, the first thing that I learned when it comes to this type of process, um, you're watching like the greatest drummers in the world and stuff like that. Um, one thing that I learned from somebody like Dennis Chambers that blew my mind a long time ago was he said, um, he said, no, don't, don't try to play like me. Try to play better than me. 
that's a very heart-wrenching statement to come from Dennis Chambers when you're 12. Right. <laughs> it's like, how, how can I imagine playing better than you? Mm-hmm. Like, how can I do that? You know, especially if you've been watching somebody your whole life already and already put them up at the pedal stool of being one of the better streamers in the world. And then you see Tony Royster and you see the other people. So this is where the watching part comes in. But at first it starts with the confidence first. It's like, okay, well, you just got to keep telling yourself that I can play this, I can play that. Like mm-hmm. It's able to be, it's humanly possible to be played. That's the first part. But then it's like you watch it and you listen to it. But we're at a level right now where we're able to watch things and learn. And then that's what Thomas Bridges said. It's like, well, if you really want to know what they're doing, watch their hands. <laughs> don't look at their outfit. You know what I mean? Don't look at their hairdo. If you're trying to learn something, look at their hands and you'll see he was just playing a double paradiddle with a flam in the front or something. And it'd be like, but you have to watch it. You can't get like overwhelmed by what you're seeing, like when I watch Mike Mitchell all the time, and it's like, it's like, yeah, but if you do stuff like that too, it's like, yeah, right, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> like, it, it, like, like a little bit slower, you know. But it's so it's like you kind of have to get past that I can't do it thing and get the mechanics of it, and then it, it turns into being a technique thing. So it's right. like, okay, it's like, all right, well, the better your technique is, the closer you get to. Um, being able to play whatever you're trying to play. Mm-hmm. But like if you're trying to play like really fast or you're trying to play something clean, the best way to do it is to make sure that your technique is impeccable. If your technique right. is impeccable, it'll be hard for you not to play double stroke rolls clean or something like that. If your mm-hmm. technique is perfect, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then the other thing is not being afraid to ask people, <laughs> ask them, what was that? Right. I, don't, I do it all the time. What's that? Right, <laughs> and the other thing is that I actually I do know what it is too. I already know what it is. I seen it. I seen it with my own eyes. I know what it is. But now, what the confirmation that what I said is right? And I'm like, it's so yeah, interesting. It's so interesting with drummers because guitar players, or I know a, a story about Jimmy Smith about someone walking up to the organ, and Jimmy Smith was kind of like covering his draw bar so you wouldn't see like what his settings were and guitar players do the same thing where i don't want you to see my pedals or i don't want you to see what my what my settings are drummers are like oh let me show you this is a inverted paradiddle with a whatever like drummers don't care they'll share it with you well with drummers we got a little bit we got a couple more inversions than instruments sometimes yeah like you're playing an instrument here's the notes that's it (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? This is this is what it is, right? You know how they say like the they say like uh, rudiments are the scales of drumming, mm-hmm. so they say. But the difference, or it actually it is, and it's like you know, but you can take rudiments, and you don't just play it one way either. That's that's the other thing. Because somebody will always say, "I was just playing a paradiddle," but they started with a double, which means they're playing an inverted paradiddle. Mm-hmm. You know, just because somebody said they're playing a paradiddle doesn't mean they're playing right, left, right, right. Right. They might be playing right, right, left, right, left, left, right. You know what I mean? Like, or whatever. Right, left, right, left, left. Right, left, right, right. It's all types of ways. And that's why drummers don't get caught up in it. Because it's like, just because I showed you something that's foot, hand, hand, foot, foot, hand, foot, hand. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's the thing. But that's not the only way you can do it. So they don't get caught up in, I showed you one lick. It's like, okay, I showed you one lick, but there's 
millions of licks. With guitar, it's not the same. It's like somebody played it's like, okay. There it is. That's the lick, right? Right, right. I mean, you can play the last note first or you can whatever, but it's different because when you're playing those instruments, they go by melody. And when you're playing drums, it also goes by melody, but because it's drums, you can interpret that melody in so diff- so many different ways. Right. Yeah. So that's that's kind of why drummers are kind of just like open with it because the language keeps changing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the, the drumming thing is kind of like it's not endless, but it's a lot you can play on drums. And I mean, if is, it's not if it's not endless, then I don't know what I mean. I I think it's endless. It, I think it's endless. It's it's pretty endless. I mean, there's so many people just playing so much stuff, but there's always a different approach to that. There's always a different style. Sure. All that. I mean, it's all relative. It's all relative. It's like, it's like, okay, I was playing a five note pattern. That's 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 what that's the relativity between like a guitar and the drum. It's like, oh, he played one, two, three, four, five, or whatever. It's like, okay, well, I'm playing. A five note pattern. One, two, three, five. I didn't tell you I'm playing right, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, or foot, foot, right, left, foot. I just said it was a five note pattern. Right. Right. So it, it's kind of that one too. You can you can play one thing so many different ways. That's that's where I'm at today. Like going back to that now, like I was talking about getting older and now you have to like not necessarily get better, but it's like, okay, now to take everything I learned and prepare myself for another year of having the same grind that I've been grinding on. Now I have to do that again in another direction. So it's like, okay, well, you know, you take these, you know, open up these books, these little rudiment books, and just instead of just going downstairs and just uh, playing music for two hours and shedding or whatever, it's like you got to shed the book. Right. And with with some sort of purpose or direction of what you're shedding or why you're shedding it or how you're shedding it or approach or something, right? You can't just go in and, and just have no, you're not really planning on doing anything or have no direction. The direction is, is, is vocabulary. That's the direction. It's like, we already know how to play drums. Right. Now you need more of a broadened, more of a, a vocabulary. So it's like, I know a paradiddle, a double paradiddle, a triple paradiddle, Diddle, diddle, a flamma diddle, a flamma diddle, diddle. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, okay, but but guess what? There's a there's a triple flamma diddle. There's a flamma flamma. There's all types of other <laughs> stuff. There really is. And it's like, okay, so you thought that just because you learned 26 rudiments or 40 rudiments that you good, but there's other rudiments. Right. There's other stuff i i think the what i what i was saying about it being endless too is and i i forget who said it it was someone on the podcast but they said essentially playing drums is just combinations of singles and doubles and how you line those up at the end of the day and i wish that were true (laughs) i wish that were true It, it is it is but what about drags and flams and triples See, that's, right. what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like, yeah. Well, even you know, starting at the singles and doubles, like there's right. there's a bazillion 
combinations that you can make. Right. That is true. And I've, I've been there for a while. Like, you know, Dennis will tell you that. A lot of people will tell you that. But it's like, okay, but what, to what capacity? If you listen to somebody like Benny Cal, you, you can't say he's just playing double in the lane. Right. I agree with that. <laughs> I don't know what he's you know? I, I don't know what. I'm still trying to figure out what he's playing. He's playing flam sevens, flam fives. <laughs> right. no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, no, I know. I and know. That's, that's the other thing. It's like, so we were talking about this, uh, this broadening of the vocabulary. Um, another thing, so it's like after you watch people and you absorb it, you hear it, you know, and you try to play, uh, what you think you heard, you know, cause mm-hmm. back in the day we didn't have YouTube, so I couldn't right. just run the video back over and over again and watch them play right, right, left, right, left. I had to go in my mind and say, is he playing it with singles? Is he playing it with doubles? Is he playing it with singles and doubles? I think that I think that that there was a lot of beauty in doing that because you ended up learning something that was not the same thing as what you were hearing. It's just what you thought you were hearing, and you come out with this like sort of bastardized version of right this thing. But then it becomes yours. Like I have all these things in my playing now that are misinterpretations of what someone else was playing that have now turned into my thing. Right. Right. You, you know? thought it was a single a single note seven, but it was a seven with doubles. Sure. Or I heard something that I didn't I physically couldn't play. So right. I didn't even know what it was. But I was like, oh let me try to at least mimic the sound and I would and I would do my own my own version of it. You know? Well you you internalized it. Right. So it's like you gotta you have like a kind of like a premise of where it is, but there are some parts of it that you're kind of like, eh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you're trying to match up the notes. Right. Or like how many notes you actually heard. as a Or the sound or yeah, something. And, and that too. It's yeah. like you could play something you heard somebody play around the drum set, but you might have to play it on just the snare first, mm-hmm. which is obviously not the same thing because they played it around the drums, right? Yep. But it's the melody that you're going for at that point, or just the vocabulary of it first. You know what I mean? And then it's like, okay, this is how he took it around the set. So back to like, you know, taking the, the, let's take like a couple of rudiments. You know, I got a couple of little pages. And it takes me forever to get through like a half a page because I take one measure that's just, stop let's take that right there triplet two triplet four and um you play it all the ways that you can play it which would be right left right left left right left right um right right left right left left right left uh unalternated right left right left right left right left unalternated uh left right left right left right left right unalternated um and so on we're just playing did it did did it did. That's what we're playing, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you'll realize that you can play about twenty five things with that. Right. Unless you, you incorporate the bass drum, you replace the bass drum for the right hand, or for replace it for the left hand, or put the foot in between each note, or put a flam in front of it, put a flam at the end of it, put a drag in front of it, the drag at the end of it. You know what I mean? It's like at that point, you are broadening your vocabulary. As opposed to I'm sitting down on the drums and I'm doing what I'm normally doing. I like to go downstairs and be stuck on something. We don't like being stuck. 
Right. We like just going down there and just smashing. Oh, mm-hmm. I was killing the practice today. It's like, no. I said, you were killing it playing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you was killing what you was playing earlier. But it's like, it's really good to just go down there and be stuck on splat da do da do what is it what and that was yeah. that was actually that was going to be my question like okay if i'm one of your students i come to you all right benzel i need to increase my vocabulary you say okay right. take a line take whatever it is take a paradiddle right and go down sit at the drums and play it every possible way that you could play it every note value every rate of speed put a drag in front of it invert it you know upside down inside out all of that and foot that's in between how you each know. note right um foot in unison with the right hand foot in unison with the left hand mm-hmm. um left foot in that. unison with the right hand exactly yep yeah. yeah, exactly if you really wanted to get that dumb, <laughs> you know what I mean? like we, we don't even get past that. We don't even no. get to the left foot doing it. We, we're stuck on the right foot. Yeah. Playing the right foot and the left hand leading, playing the left hand leading with the right foot hitting those notes is where we usually stop. Yeah. <laughs> where we're like, I mean, okay, like this is so orthodox. You know? I remember just like how eye-opening it was just to like play the right, like if you're playing, if you're looking at stick control and you're playing a paradiddle, or just looking at it as R's and L's and like R L R R L R L L play all right. the rights with your foot and play all the lefts with your snare. All right. Right. And you're right. like, even, even just that is it, you start to, you start to break down all of those walls and it takes a while, but like, but that, I like that, that, uh, that approach to developing your vocabulary for sure. And it's and ambidextrous and all that kind of stuff. All that. And you know, that, started a long time ago when I uh, was getting drum lessons as a kid with like 11 or whatever and they showed and hand me like the stick control book which is mm-hmm. just da 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 all day long so you know I'm getting bored with that so right. I'm like now wait a minute there's got to be something else you can do first off I didn't even realize you're supposed to play at least 20 times right. then um, that's like the well, minimal the minimal barrier to entry is exactly 20 times like that's the starting point but i didn't understand until i was explained to by kim wood denard when i went over uh berkeley and he actually let me sit in on this class and kind of do a little bit of a teaching thing there for a little bit um but he uh was telling me about excellence mode and that excellence mode is when you play things 20 times so you take if you're just playing foot hand foot hand foot hand you play that 20 measures of that. That's right. the excellence mode. So you play that, 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 that's one. You know what I mean? 20 mm-hmm. more times, 19 more times or whatever. So now you would take that, and then you get your stick control book. And that's when you start doing the whole foot in between thing. Foot leading with the right, foot leading with the left, um, substituting the right the left for the foot or substituting the right for the foot which would mean if it's if it's if it's right left right right you would say right foot right right or foot right foot hand foot foot basically it was it would turn into hand foot so instead of being right left it would turn into hand foot so it don't matter necessarily matter what hand mm-hmm. um yep. and that type of stuff you just sit there and do that for 
ever. But it, it really helps because you're taking one thing and you're actually expanding on your vocabulary as opposed to just, okay, I played right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. Now I'm moving on to right, right, left, left. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And then, so we talk about da 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 right? So one sticky I didn't say, so you got right, left, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right. But you also have right, right, left, left. Left, left, right, right. This is a whole nother thing. <laughs> okay, because now you're doing it with double stroke rolls. Yep. And it's like, okay. And also, once you do that, then you play it oddly. So if you're playing, if you're playing, you'll play, it's the same thing. You're just playing it faster. Yeah, you're different playing rates it of speed. Odd. You're just playing it um, in, in threes or whatever, or whatever you're doing. I don't know. You're playing it in the next, the next level up in the time, the timetable. Then that's the whole other thing. Then you take the stuff, you put it in the timetable. So then you go from playing it in, in uh, you know, that, 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 and so forth. So now you take it, everything, and you're doing it like that. And you foot tizing it, as I call it, <laughs> and like um, you know, then it's, you know you can even add a note, all that stuff. Because at the end of the day, it's all about trying to get around the drums with it. It's like, okay, yes, we learned the right, right, left, left, and the whatever, whatever. That's all on snare, right? So there's like, a there's a great example that we were talking about Dennis Chambers uh, when he's playing Babylon Sisters f- with the Steely Dan live in America and he's playing mm-hmm. triplets on the snare and he's speeding them up and slowing them down like different rate right. or different subdivisions right. in the right. middle of the of the tune like it's like it's like true Dennis Chambers. Yep, messing with the timetable in time. Right. Yep. 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 That's that's another part of it. I'm happy you gave me that idea. It's like because when I do do my DVD or whatever I'm doing, expanding your vocabulary, people are saying that they're helping you expand your vocabulary, but <laughs> they're really just making you watch them play over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's really like breaking it down because that would that would take away from the mystery of drumming. I guess this, this right. is what I'm starting to realize now. It's like it doesn't matter how many DVDs you buy, how many Drumio videos you watch. <laughs> it's like they give you tip of the iceberg. It's like now you go do the rest by yourself. Right. You know. And you're like, no, that's I what I'm paying you for. Hey, that's what I'm watching this thing for an hour. As, you know, um, so what I did realize though, some of the most important ones, one of them was uh was Matt Garska on this one drum meal video, uh, you have to watch the whole thing. But he basically broke it down and it was saying that, uh, and this is more valuable information than sometimes than the things that people play. Because they're playing the stuff, but if you don't, if you can't comprehend it, it don't matter to you. Yep. So it's like, he's like, well, if you really want to like work on your sound and sound different, then you have to play the odds. Don't if I'm playing a if I'm playing a paradiddle and I wonder why I sound like Eric Moore or something, it's because you're playing standard stuff. So it's like, well, 
you would need to play in threes. You would need to play in fives. You need to play in sevens. Because it's like, okay, if I play a seven, if I play two sevens and then play two more notes, that's 16. So right. it's like if you don't want to sound the same as other people, you got to get around them drums another way. You get around them odd. Play three fives and one more note. That's 16. So it's a way that you subdivide it. And then the, t- the tip of the iceberg once you do all this stuff, is then you take the odds and you play them in singles around the drums, but you accent the two and the four and the snare. I'm not giving mm-hmm. away any more uh, secrets after this. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna, I feel you're gonna call me tonight and be like, "Hey, man, uh, listen, we gotta edit some of that stuff out." <laughs> I'm gonna need you to cut that one thing I said, but. <laughs> But no, like it's and it's okay because the stuff is hard and people have to take time to do it and most people won't. So I don't mind because you won't do it. You'll take one thing and be like, oh my God, I'm at the mountaintop. There's from the one thing. Have you ever heard of a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk? Doesn't matter. I feel like I I feel like I should have. He's a business guy, right? And he's like, he he has millions of followers on every, and he's like, I don't charge for anything. He runs a multi-million dollar advertising agency. He was like, all the stuff that I talk about is, I just give it to you for free. Everything is free. Right. And he's like, the reason why I give everything away from free, because people are like, aren't you worried about people competing with you? He's like, the reason why I give it away for free is because ninety nine point nine 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 percent of you will not execute. Won't do it. Nope. Nope. Yep. It's, it's like, it's because it's a lot of work and it's right. just so much easier to just do what I do as, as usual and do my little normal gig and say that I'm killing and people thought I was sounding good tonight and that's the norm. But to like be in the room, like I said, going in these rooms and sharing with these great drummers that's better than you, younger than you, <laughs> got more energy than you, more testosterone than you, more everything than you. But that's how I get better. See, it's like I might not be sounding the best with sitting with Tony Royster and all these guys, but when I go back to my particular gig, I'm going to be killing. You know what I mean? Like when I go back to doing my normal thing, I'm going to be sounding better because right. I was pushed. So it's, it's like you can't always look at, oh, but he sounds so much better. Or, oh, I wish I was playing this. I wish I was playing that. You get to just take that experience you know, absorb it, you know, ask questions, watch, and then go home and work on it. Like individual practice is very important. Yep. As a, as a touring musician and stuff like that, um, that's why quarantine is so cool because as a touring musician and things like that, we don't get a lot of practice time. When I'm on the road, the only time I can get practice time is if I go buy a, a room, wherever I'm at, wherever country I'm in, I just go buy a room, and go in there and practice at like two in the morning, <laughs> something like that, and then yep. wake up and get ready for the show. Or you have friends and they set up the shed. This happens a lot too. They set the shed up, so it's like, okay, I give you a shed. But I've had friends tell me, they're like, man, you're crazy because I've seen you go to load in, sound check, shed for two hours, and then do the show for two and a half hours. That is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that is ridiculous. That's how hungry I was at that time. Like I love 
playing music and it's like these places that you go there's there's uh great people everywhere you go there's there's somebody that's doing something great if i go to oakland i'm gonna call thomas if i go to uh la i'm gonna call ronald you know what i mean or i'm gonna mm-hmm. call like um it's a lot of people i'll call if i was over there mike you know mike mitchell or whatever if i'm in new york i'll call tobias or i'll call uh nasheed or the anthony parks you know what I mean? Like, it's right. every city you go at. If you go to D.C., you got Aaron, Jamal, and, you know, um, Hayes, all these people. If you go to Baltimore City, you got Dennis, you got Dana, Corey. Bates. So there's always places to go to learn. Yep. You know, like, so you have to keep that in mind. It's, it's all and up I, to I you. Think that, I think people, like, I don't know. Sometimes I think that people think that they can they – can, make it or quote unquote make it or do it and spend you know uh, two hours a week doing it well some like, people are, not, are gifted i some yeah but i gifted. man i i don't buy into that because i don't think that there was been i don't think there's ever been a week where tony royster or thomas Pridgen or you or brian frazier moore or anyone else right. wasn't spending hours and hours practicing you know what i mean yeah like no, I don't care. Like even Tony Royster, like he was, right. yeah, he's amazing. But like he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't practice forty-five minutes a week for the last ten years. And then go over his girlfriend's house. <laughs> right, right. Or like you know, uh, like JoJo Mayer or all those guys. Like, right. They didn't know those guys shed for, and even if it, maybe they don't shed as much now, but like to get to where they were, right. they spent a decade practicing four hours a day. No, At literally, least. literally. Uh, Thomas Lang, it is, it is rumored, and I think, I, you know, I met his wife before. I think she probably did attest to it as well, um, that he literally practiced for between seven and ten years for um, eight hours a day. I believe it. Dude, he went – seven I, years? I, so I worked with Drum Channel for, for a while, and – Thomas came in and shot 97 videos in one day, no retakes. What? Like 97 videos, no retakes. All first, all first, like every single one was first take and it was done. And he was playing insane stuff, like I know. inverted paradiddles at 300 beats a minute with his feet, like crazy, crazy stuff. And uh, he recorded, yeah, 96 videos in like a matter of hours and never had to do a retake. The dude is a machine, for sure. He is. And you don't get that way with raw talent, right? I think Will Smith said it best. Like, talent you have naturally, but skill comes from hours and hours and hours of beating on your craft. Right. The the funniest thing about somebody like Thomas Lang is, like, it doesn't stop. It's like he did all that, and then – Couple years later, he started playing with some with some band, and now all of a sudden, he's got like his groove sound better to me yeah. personally. Yep, yeah, they like, do. I've watched Thomas Lane since he since he's been out. I've watched all the greatest drummers since they've been out. That's you know, what I mean, since like the nineties, the eighties. I've been in, I've been in for so long. I've met these people and know them, you know. And it's like the ones that are really doing it, they don't stagnate. I'm not going to say any names or anything. But mm-hmm. here's the problem that's going on when I was talking about this old and young thing. The actual issue is just like the NBA again. It's like Michael Jordan and like Allen Iverson. It's like if Allen Iverson crossed up Michael Jordan and scored on him, 
He's younger. He's newer. You know what I mean? It happened. Mm -hmm. It did happen. But, you know, you, you think Michael Jordan say, oh, well, I'm just not going to be a dribbler no more. I'm, right. I'm just not going to nope. be a – just can't do it no more. He had to go, go harder. Yep. I'm, if you want to see what it really takes to be a champion, one, watch the, the, uh, the so last Michael dance. Jordan thing, or there's another one that kind of flies under the radar that a lot of people haven't seen. It's called Kobe Bryant's Muse, that and it was on Showtime. Ooh, I need to see that. And it, is, it shows the, the amount of, of work ethic. And there was, one, there was one, one player that was talking to Kobe. Um, I, forget, I forget exactly what happened, but they went in and they were working out late at night, right? And then mm -hmm. the next morning, he was like, I'm going to get in early and get there before Kobe and, <laughs> because I want to, like, show him that I'm working harder to him than him. Right. And he was, like, he was like, so I get there in the morning, and he was like, and Kobe's already there. And I'm like, man. And so we're practicing a little bit, and I was like, dude, what time did you get here this morning? And Kobe was like, I never left last night. <laughs> He's like, I just I stayed all night long oh my god <laughs> that's that's what it takes yeah bro yep. it's, it's a little obsessive but you're not going to be a tony royster if you're not obsessive yep yeah for real like you're not going to be a thomas bridge and to that point i think that there's like there's two sides of it too right like if you want to if you want to have a day gig you want to like play softball on the right. weekends and right, right, right. like i'm all about balance i'm not saying that people should do one or the other but if you right but if you want to go the other way and you want to be tony royster then right. don't kid yourself to think that like you can really have any other hobbies or any other commitments besides doing right. that all the right. time right 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 or at least in term in your mind is on that yeah like all the time I mean, you could still have balance if you're if you're someone like Tony, but like you got to sacrifice a lot of things. Like, no more happy hour with the boys. Like, you probably right. can't play on your local pool team. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, you're gonna you may make time for friends and family when you can, but the other the rest of the time is is you know focusing on well, on the task at hand. It's just like the chili pepper tour again. Chili pepper tour is the most eye opening experience of other than playing at Woodstock '99 at 15 years old which was the first most eye-opening experience of my life. I got to well, ask actually, you about that. What did you – you uh, said that you were on punishment for Woodstock and you had to stand in the corner. What did you do? <laughs> I stole the car. You stole a car? It. I saw that you – said I car. I, my I saw, car. Uh, oh, <laughs> like your, have your dad's car. Yeah, I didn't have a license. I had I saw a learner's you, permit. It said that you were joyriding, and I know what joyriding means, but I didn't know if it meant specifically that's what you were doing. So you sold your dad's car and wrecked it. Well, I, actually, it was my mom's. Okay. I, I stole them both. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, the, the mom's, that one went down because the brakes went out. And like I said, uh. I'm on a learner's permit. And I don't know nothing about vehicles, driving, or nothing. I'm thinking that pumping the brake is going to save me. Didn't happen. But long story short, that happened, and that happened in like April. <laughs> that happened like <laughs> April or May. And and Woodstock is uh, it was George's birthday, so it was like the twenty second of his birthday. I think we performed twice in a row. It might have been the twenty first and the twenty second, or the twenty second and the twenty third. But so this went all the way until July. Like I haven't seen my my father since. I haven't seen him since before then because he's been on tour the whole summer and like 
spring, summer. So this is the first time I'm seeing him in months. And, like, he didn't forget one second of it. Let's just say that. Like, <laughs> I got up there three months later, and he's just, like, still quadruple angry. Right. And he's basically uh, – we're basically boxing, and I'm losing. <laughs> <laughs> and then that same day, I got to play that night. Right. Yeah, I still got to play, too, <laughs> which is amazing. And it's like, I don't know what, what, what beating was worse, though, because um, that's what these people don't understand. Like, people are not serious. It's like, it's not going to come easy to you. Like, they think it came easy to me. Everybody has the misconception that because my father plays trumpet with George Clinton, that's the reason why I'm the drummer for George Clinton. George Clinton has had five drummers on stage at one time for over 20 years. He's right. always wanted a he's always wanted his choice. Like he might he might want uh Bootsy to play flashlight, but then he want Dennis to play knee deep. That's just how he do. And mm-hmm. he just he might want um uh Foley to play this. And then he might want me to play the last song or the first song. And that's just how he is. He's always been a preferential person. Um so me being who I am it may have helped a little bit, but that has nothing to do with me being the only drummer for George right now, which is basically hasn't happened since Dennis Chambers, 1986. It's insane. Right. So that required a lot of work. It required a, I didn't start off playing drums. I mean, I did, of course I started off playing drums, but I was, my job title was tech. I was right. on the road crew. I was on the tour bus. I was at the show from 10 a.m. to 12 at night. Right. <laughs> You know I would venture to guess that because your dad, because you were your dad's son, your dad probably yeah. made it harder. Like I grew up working in my dad's restaurant, right? And everyone was like, oh, you Ooh. work for your dad. That must be easy. I'm like, there is zero nepotism. I'm like, it's harder for me. <laughs> yeah, like not only that, you. after I do something at work and I get yelled at more than anyone else in the whole exactly. building, then I got to go home and live with them. Exactly. And that shit doesn't stop at the no. restaurant. We go home no. and I still get yelled at. <laughs> Yeah, you know you did that, right? You know what right. you did. <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's like, so having him as a dad, it's like, yes, I was a baby. I was held by Dennis Chambers as a baby. I was held by Bootsy. I was held by George. I was held by people I can't even name. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, so and that was me being in the family. And, of course, uh, the word got around that uh, little Benny can play drums. He was, like, 13 years old. He was like, hey, like, uh. They brought the, the band came over to the house one day. The whole band came over to the house before we played somewhere in Baltimore, like Rams said. The whole band came over for a little party. I got all the instruments downstairs, and you know they were coming downstairs, and they'd be like, "Get on the drums!" And I played the drums, and they'd be playing songs. And I'm like 13 or 12, and they're like, "He know how to groove." And they told me some stuff. They'd be like, "Oh, you gotta, you gotta pull it back." I never knew what that meant. <laughs> pull it back means to. It's not that you plan too fast, but it means like, like again, too eager. About, yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's playing behind the clap. Because if you're playing in a big stadium and you hit the snare, it's going to be an echo. Right. So you basically like playing behind the echo. Right. Right. Which is like uh, sonically almost impossible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's like, like that. 
<laughs> that's exactly what it is. Because the people are clapping loud. Right. So you're like playing behind them. The clap is like uh, in front of you. Yep. Weird. Anyway, <laughs> I like. Anyway. I didn't know. I didn't know. What, I didn't know what that meant. That's like when the, I started playing the guy. I was like, break it down. I started like taking my symbols yeah. off the stand. <laughs> 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 man that's a learning experience right there you know but like just to say that the auditioning period was a lifetime yeah the auditioning period, i've even heard george speak about it in the interview one time when we were at berkeley and i went out there to like help my dad out and stuff and they were like doing a clinic horns and they had like a p-funk ensemble so they were using the horns and George and I just decided to tag along and ended up getting to put my two cents in and all that other stuff. Um, but he was just saying, yeah, he's been playing around with us since 14. Right. I'm like, what's he talking about? <laughs> right. I'm like, what's he talking about? But I realized that he has a really good memory and he knows that I used to come there and I would um, play a sound check. That counts. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Playing that sound check with the, the band. That's huge. It's like you got to be able to play a sound check before you can play on stage. Like you can't play this a song on stage if you can't even get the sound check without right. messing up. Right, right, right. Sound check is hard. Sound check is long. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn that too. The whole beatdown of like, do you want to play with George? Okay, let's see if you really want to. You think you play drums? We gonna see. <laughs> and they put you up there, and. They'll just stretch out for 26 minutes on one song. Right. And you got to be playing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Boy, like I've never had to play that long in my life. Like I've played, <laughs> I've like, played hours, but I've never played 26 minutes of this intensity. Right. Like don't like, can, can we take, don't we get a break for a second? No, the song <laughs> hasn't ended. It's like right. it's like being a boxer and going 12 rounds with no break in between the rounds. <laughs> right. And it's like by round three, you're about to drop dead. Right. And and you got nine more left or whatever, you know? What was the uh do you you brought this up and I and we kind of skipped over, but what was the what was the other the learning experience from the chili peppers? I know that we talked to we that was a little bit back, but Oh yeah, so they're they're like they're intertwined. So like the like so when it comes to this Woodstock thing, which is basically it was twenty years before doing the Red Hot Chili Pepper tour. This was like the 20 year anniversary of this. Of at Woodstock, Jewel was there. Red Hot Chili Peppers were there. Corn, DMX, and on. And the list goes on and on. And then, like 20 years later, I got to see like all those people again. Weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Real weird. Um, but the Woodstock thing was the scariest moment in my life. It was 100,000 plus people in front of me um, and pay-per-view camera in your face, like a big camera, like a pay-per-view camera, not a cell phone. We're talking about a camera that weighs about 40 pounds being held in front of you. Then there's another camera that's swinging around in the sky. Like I've, I've, I'm being That's video. intimidating. Yeah, I've never even been videoed like this other than like my mom at my school concert. Like this is crazy. There's millions of people out there. This is on pay-per-view. It's on right now. You can see it right now. You know, and it's like 
that was a very scary moment. And all I could think about was just holding the sticks and not dropping them. Like, I know how to play drums. As long as I don't drop my sticks, I can really do good. Like, I can really make it through. But I don't drop a stick or break a stick or miss a hit or not listen. So at that moment, I had to learn how to listen. Like, it's like, okay, it's not about being a drummer right now. This is about, like, being glue. Right. <laughs> like, right. you know, being the most solid thing happening on stage. <laughs> the most, the, the, the most um, consistent force on stage is what the drums need to be. Don't worry about rolls. Don't worry about double pedal. Don't worry about Dennis Chambers. Right. <laughs> Play right, the right. group and you will be <laughs> doing just fine. So, you know, that was a big experience. And I got to play twice in a row. So I did better the second time, and that was great. Um, now, the next scary experience was this this Red Hot Chili Pepper thing. And that was – it was a lot on me because I'm I'm a different type of person. So it's like – like I said, I come from being in the crew. So I'm – even though I'm not necessarily in the crew, I'm still in the crew. So right. I'm like, I'm still around. I'm still making sure my drums are set up right. I'm still going to be there for line check and all that other stuff. So with that being said, you get to know all the behind the scenes people who are really making this stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do things a certain way. It's like, you're opening for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Huge gig. Huge gig, you know? And it's like, this is show business stuff. This is real show business. So you don't start until the lights cut off. Then you start. <laughs> you don't start at 7.02 and you don't start at 6.59. You know what I mean? <laughs> you start at 7 and 23 seconds, basically. 7 and 30 seconds is late. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's that bad. And so you're going through that, and, you know, you'll go over and say, how was it? And they'll say, yeah, it was all right. They'll say, <laughs> oh, okay. They, something wasn't right. So then you have to evaluate what happened. Then they'll be like, okay, let's see what happens tomorrow. You do it, you do it again tomorrow. No, how was it? It's getting better. I say, like, okay. And then I realized that I had to take initiative for the whole band. So it's like the third show we did, we did the show. Um, it got to the drum solo part. You know, I'm not trying to let my drum solo part go. <laughs> you know that, right? Right. Um, but when it comes to like getting an A plus on the test, as opposed to an A, it's like, okay, I know what I'm gonna do. I took a little solo. And I just stopped on a flame and walked off. <laughs> I just walked off the stage. And nobody came with me at first. And then everybody started getting off stage. And I said, how was that? And they said, that was good. I said, okay, I get it. It's like, you, it's, it's like I said before, the time and place for everything. Not only are you supposed to start at 7 or 8, but not only is the show over at 9, you're supposed to be pretty much off the stage at nine. Don't end at nine and then start giving fives and 
you know, waving and doing all that stuff. Because now it's 9.05 and you're still up there. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, hey, look, we're giving you an opportunity. Be grateful for it and be respectful. It's like, okay, it's like being in somebody's house. Yeah. You're talking to their daughter too long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, say hi and leave. You know, and it's like, hey. Um, so I figured out that we basically had to, like, do our thing, kill it, and try to be done by one minute before end time. Right. Because if I'm done right like one minute before end time, then I can be off the stage by 901. Yeah. It's like the gig starts at 7. That means the downbeats at 7, not you get there right. at 7. Or you're right. setting up around 7. It's like the right. downbeat is 7. All those type of things. And then what I learned the most, because you were saying something about like not going out and partying with your boys. And then what I had to learn from these chili peppers, which was the hardest lesson of all time, was like, oh, yeah, Flea's not going out tonight. Flea's not going out any night. Right. Anthony's not coming out tonight. You know what I mean? Like, Chad's coming out. <laughs> Chad's coming out. And he won't tell you that he's coming out, though. He'll, he'll just end up popping up at your spot that you invited him to and he say you can't make it. Right. But then he'll just pop up anyway. And it's like, but... Even Chad, like, he don't drink liquor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like these guys have been through so much on that rock star level. And it's like, but I had to learn from them that it's way more important to do these shows and be the greatest at what you do. It's way more important than I didn't get home till 5 this morning, and now I got a flight at five at 6, and we got to play tonight, and I'm tired, and I just got off a flight. Right. It's like, you know, all that other stuff ain't going to work. Yeah, your job is not to uh, your job is not to be partying. But I mean, you're in Australia. What are you going to yeah. do? Yeah, yeah. What What are you going to do? You got to be respectful. You, know? you have to just be smart. It's like, okay, you guys pick your battles. Like, I'm going home at twelve. That right. was that was me. That was me. I'm no matter what, I'm going to be in the bed at twelve. Nice. Did it <laughs> Did it work every time? Um, not if I had, um, not if we had a day off. Right. Right. But we didn't have many days off. Yeah. We was out there for like nine or nine shows and he probably had about, uh, chili peppers are better than, than us when it comes to the days off. Thing. They only mm-hmm. do like four or five in a row tops. And they got the like, they got the whole thing. They got like the night bus. They got the day bus. If you want to leave after the gig, you can take the night bus. If you want to leave in the morning, you can take the day bus. Like, Oh, they got their own ride, like personally per person. Yeah. So it's like at the end of the night, um, I was staying every night because Flea told me I was going to play double drums. Won't give it away now at some point. Um, so I made it a fact that I'd be there every night. The whole band was leaving right. after you the show. Staying. I'm not ever leaving. Trust me, I don't care how I get back home. I'll figure it out. And you know, Flea will be like, I can get you a ride. You know, I mean, you can ride with me. Right. You know, like you don't have you don't have to leave. Now you know you're dealing with you know people, the older guys. They ain't trying to be out all night. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, for sure. But me personally, I'm you know I was trying to get the opportunity to be able to play on stage with Red Hot, and I wanted them to know that I really appreciated them so i stayed every night did it happen for, uh, yeah i did it nice nice of course they forklifted the drum set up there 
yeah. on the main, <laughs> the grand finale. I like um, that was after they, you know, they loved it. They loved what we were doing. Like they're getting good reports. You gotta remember, half my band is old, half my band is young. Right. So we still got the reckless vibe too. Like we can, we can get reckless. Right. <laughs> you know, we can get, we can party harder than anybody. So um, we kind of, kind of had to reel that in. And this is like about professionalism. Yep. Like you got to be professional on this. You're already the man. You already got it going on. But the most important thing is the integrity of the show. Mm-hmm. Always. And all that stuff affects you. That's what you, these people need to know as well. Like all that stuff affects you. You know, if you go to the gym today and then you do the gig, you'll probably have a better gig. If you drink um, a half a gallon of water instead of two bottles of water, you might have a better gig. Mm-hmm. If you eat some good food instead of going to McDonald's, you might have a better gig. It's this is it's facts. all connected, man. Yeah, this is facts, and it's like you got to know the facts of like how to win. If you you know if you're hydrated, if you eating something good. I don't like to eat right before the show, but when you're with chili peppers, they're feeding you all day. Right. So you just have to get used to eating food all day and still playing good. But then you gotta pick your battles. It's like, okay, you, you got meals. It's like, I'm just gonna eat some vegetables right now because I got it. I'm just gonna eat some broccoli and a piece <laughs> of, a small piece of steak. You know what right. I mean? And it's right. like, I'm gonna go up there and smash. That's what it's about, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they, they, they definitely taught me a lot, though. And nice. Just having conversations with them one-on-one, each one of them one-on-one, and just watching their work ethic. It changed me. It'd be like, hey, I'm going back to the hotel yeah. by myself yep. and going yep. to bed <laughs> and waking up at 7 o'clock and going to the gym. It was, it was that. Yeah. It was that. Wake up at 7 a.m., uh, go do your do the little run thing, throw some weights around, and then – Go find the drum room at twelve, and then go to sound check. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's that. It's just, but that's your occupation. You know what I mean? With drum is your occupation. You approach it differently. That's what we were just saying about the Tony Royster's and them. It's like none of this stuff matters until you're on stage and being demanded to kill. Then all of a sudden, it matters what you did last night. It matters if you practiced all month or not. All that stuff matters when you're on that stage. But mm-hmm. a lot of people don't see that because they're not there yet. So right. it's easy to just say, well, I'm only going to practice for 45 minutes and then I'm going to rugby practice. They just see the, uh, they just see the, tip, of the tip of the iceberg. So. Exactly. So what um, – I know that you, I know that you teach and you're, I mean, you're in the, uh, you know, you're in Baltimore. Where's the best place for people to, if they want to follow up with you, get in touch with you, take lessons from you, all that, where's the best place to do that? Oh, well, I'm, I'm very open. Like I'm, I'm around and I, I like doing this. It's not like I'm not running from it. So right. you know, if anybody hits me on Instagram and hits me in the direct message, it happens all the time. People just say, can I get a lesson with you? I say, yeah, I'm good. I got time. See you tomorrow at three. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's right. just what I do. You know, if you want to Instagram message me or Facebook feed Denzel Cowan, um, I even have a website. It's uh, DenzelBaltimore.com. You know, it's just a couple little things that I've done, nice little bio, mm-hmm. talking about some of the stuff. But uh, like I said, social media is wide open. Um, yeah, I'm there. Hit me up. Nice. 
Well, Benzel, I appreciate you. T- and you're a man of your word. You're like, hit me up and I'll do it. And I hit you up and we did this. So See? Uh, it happens. Uh, it does. But I I uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat, man. It was great not only to hear the the stories, but the wisdom and and letting people know what is required as a professional and all this. I mean, it's a lot of this stuff doesn't get talked about enough. So I appreciate you sharing all that, my man. And please be safe. Uh, and when you're eventually back out on the road, be safe out there as well. Oh man, I appreciate you. Appreciate the opportunity to impart. There you have it, the one and only Benzel Baltimore. You can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 577. Also, check Benzel out. He's on social media, particularly Instagram. Just search Benzel Baltimore on there. Also, if you haven't already, do me a favor, leave a rating or a review for this podcast if you like it, or even if you don't, leave a review for it as well. I want to know. I want your feedback. But good reviews let people know that this is a great podcast that they should be listening to it also shows up higher when people are searching for a drumming podcast so if you could do that i would love you for it and other than that that's all i got so until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon peace drummer's resource is produced by revoice media Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me, edited by Justin Thomas, video editing by Tomas Shannon, and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.